When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Scoopy Radio, in your airwaves, on the plane, on the train. Everywhere you need to be, I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Scoop B. Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure to subscribe to the Scoop B Radio podcast, which is available on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, iHeartRadio, or simply by visiting ScoopBRadio.com. 3.5 million streams last year and, uh, and counting. Uh, November uh, is a big month. Uh, last month the NBA season started, and to kind of usher us in, on where everything is, is none other than esteemed reporter Ben Gulliver, sir. What's going on, sir? Welcome to Scoopy Radio. Scoopy Not Radio. too much, man. You know, I'm down here in LA. I've been here for like four or five years now, and finally, all the superstars showed up. You know, I got Kobe's last year, which wasn't obviously his peak, but these guys have been keeping me crazy busy. I mean, we got Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, day after day after day, kind of just taking uh, their turn on Staples Center Court. Now we got Paul George coming back. Trey Young's coming through this weekend. Uh, it's just an incredible time to be a, a basketball fan and a basketball writer. Million dollar question: When do you sleep? You know, I actually think sleep is like really important. I could go into lots of tangents about the importance of meditation and, and getting the the right sleep hours. So I make sure I get my hours, but uh, that that means you know the eighteen hours I'm awake are filled. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's been pretty crazy, pretty busy. Uh, and even this week, you know, you've got teams like Portland, you know, trying to figure out, like, what are they going to do? Let's go out and grab Carmelo Anthony. Can he save them? Uh, you know, the jockeying, I think, in this Western Conference, because of the pressure applied by teams like the Lakers and the Clippers at the top, I think we're already starting to see it kind of trickle down to some of these other teams, too. The Washington Post's Ben Oliver is Scooby on the Scoopy Radio. Radio podcast. He joined the Washington Post as a national NBA writer in 2018. Previously was a senior writer at Sports Illustrated covering the NBA, and you kind of nailed it right on the head. You, you, you segued my perfect uh, alley-oop to you in this instance. You wrote uh, 14 hours ago at the time of this recording, uh, the Blazers signing of Carmelo Anthony is a desperate act for a struggling team. Why say you? Well, look, I think it's very important that people remember that the Carmelo that we all kind of, uh, you know, cherish, like the best version of Carmelo, I mean, it, it's, it, that's in the past, okay? He's seven years removed from his last scoring title. 
Um, obviously, his heyday with the Knicks, no one's ever going to be able to take that away from him. And even, you know, for the real old heads, you know, the early career mellow with the Nuggets, what he was just getting bucket after bucket after bucket, uh, you know, that's that's not where he is at this stage of his career. I think, unfortunately, what we saw in Oklahoma City and Houston were some real serious struggles to kind of keep up on the de- defensive end. I mean, the lateral quickness, the energy level, it just wasn't quite where it needs to be, I think, especially the play in this modern NBA style, which is so fast and air players are just moving around the court uh, so constantly. Uh, it was just a tricky fit for him. I think uh, for Portland, though, it really says more about them than it says about Melo because they're off to a 4-8 and eight start. I think the signature game of their season was when Damian Lillard scored 60 points. He outscored all of his teammates combined, and they still lose at home to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, it just kind of shows that he hasn't had a lot of help there. There's been a bunch of injury issues, especially Zach Collins going out with a shoulder injury has been a big hit for them. And they're just trying to plug holes in their rotations and their lineups. And I think ultimately that's what they're looking for from Carmelo Anthony. They don't want him to be part of a big three. You know, they're bringing him in because they just need live bodies who could try to fill some minutes for Coach Terry Stotts. And I actually am in favor of this because it gives Melo, uh, you know, an opportunity to maybe write a better closing chapter than he had in Houston. Things just did not go the way anybody expected. Mm -hmm. From all reports down there, he was a really good teammate. Like, the guys liked him. Uh, it just really wasn't a basketball fit. It wasn't like he was making any noise or, or complaining at all uh, in the locker room. I also felt bad for him this summer when USA Basketball was kind of like, thanks but no thanks, so we don't want you on the World Cup roster. I mean, these are some real serious blows to a guy who obviously deserves to have a big ego given how good of a player he was during his heyday. And so I, I do hope this could be uh, you know, a nice uh, new chapter for him and maybe a closing chapter for him up there in Portland. Yeah, Melo told me last week uh, at the Luke Garrix Awards that he wanted to play 2,000%. Uh, and a week later, signs with the Portland Trailblazers. I, I, I believe it's 14th. It's a non-guaranteed contract, $14,000, I think it is. Probably per day, uh, you know, that he's on that deal. Uh, but here's the thing. He's been out of the NBA for more than a year, right? So if anyone mm-hmm. wants to question his commitment to basketball, they're nuts because he's had to stay in shape, keep himself ready, for the opportunity to sign a contract for more than a year. So if he was getting to the stage where he still didn't love the game, he was trying to do other things off the court, he would not have taken that same approach. I think the, the guy that some people have compared that to is almost like Dwight Howard, right, where it seemed like mm-hmm. Dwight Howard was going to be out of the NBA. All of a sudden this summer he transforms his body and he, and he gives the Lakers some really good minutes. I think sometimes the, the light does click for these players, right, because when they're in their 20s, the game comes so easily the gigantic max contract checks, they just get deposited every two weeks. It's almost like a surreal existence. It's very easy to kind of get caught up in that. And sometimes when they get, you know, past, you know, 32, 33, uh, you know, they come back to earth and realize, okay, like, what are my options here? And, and people aren't calling quite as much. And I, I think uh, for Carmelo, this last year has probably been a wake-up call. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, he went back to what he loved, which was basketball. He got himself in the gym, got himself in shape. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. You came out of Portland. Uh, before Sports Illustrated, you were in Portland, correct? Yes, sir. I was uh, born in, uh, and raised in Beaverton, Oregon, in the shadows of Nike. Uh, you know, I, after college, I went back to Portland and covered the Blazers for, you know, almost 10 years, uh, you know, for a website called Blazers Edge. So that's my hometown team, uh, and, uh, you know, I love that area. When you look at the Blazers and you look at Melo, last question about Melo, 
what did you think? Obviously, you would think he would bring instant offense to a Blazers team. Um, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, you said they're not building a big three, but he can add a punch to help him. And realistically, what would you like to see Melo bring to a Portland Trail Blazers team night in, night out? Well, look, they want to have the balance with shooting. That's the most important thing, the outside shooting, and they've had problems with that these last couple of years. I mean, even guys like Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, who played those forward spots for them, they weren't necessarily like knockdown three-point shooters, and so that allows defenses to just, uh, you know, swarm Damian Lillard, trap him, throw a box in one on him, just make his life miserable. And so if you're Carmelo, your main goal is going to be be a release valve, right? If they have to swing that ball over the trap to you and you're wide open for a three-pointer, bang that shot, you know? That's what that's what Terry Stotts needs. Or, you know, if the defense is slow to rotate back to you, you know, drive it to the hoop and get yourself to the free throw line or, or get a layup out of it. I mean, it's sort of that balance where the guards are going to have a, a little bit more room and, and freedom to operate. You know, a major story for Portland to start the season has been C.J. McCollum's slump. You know, I think that's a major reason why they're under 500 right now. He just hasn't really played quite like himself, but we mm-hmm. know this guy is good. He's been a, a solid player in the NBA for like five, six years, right? So uh, I think even uh, adding uh, some kind of uh, you know supporting threat, whether it's Carmelo Anthony or somebody else, to that group could maybe help make his life easier too. And if he's playing better, then I think Portland's record will look better. Million-dollar question. Can Jamal Crawford make a roster spot with the Los Angeles Lakers? Man, that's a, a very interesting question. I've seen the campaigns for him, too. You know, he's another guy where the situation here the last couple of years is he'll still go out there and get those late clock rainbow threes and get people excited. But the, the tricky part has been, you know, defensively, like is he at the point where he can get picked on uh, too regularly to, uh, you know, to keep a spot? I mean, I think for the Lakers – uh, I'm not sure that they need him at this point. I think they've got to solve this Rondo question first, right? Like, they've got to see uh-huh. exactly what they have with Rondo. How many minutes can he play now that he's going to be back on the court? And, you know, how does the balance work between him and Caruso? One of the craziest stories about the Lakers is Caruso's impact this year has just been strong, like really uh-huh. strong. And, and he's helped make their defense, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, formidable, much better than I thought it would be. Uh-huh. And so I think for a player like Jamal, there actually could be better fits around the NBA than the Lakers where – uh, you know, there might be more minutes available uh, or there might be, uh, you know, just a, a cleaner philosophical fit. Uh, I think for the, it would be hard for him to get minutes, I think, in the Lakers' backcourt and, and to really play the game he wants to play. Yeah, and it's interesting you, you say that because uh, when I spoke to Anthony Davis last week, um, he told me he thought that they were good. Uh, he said, literally, okay, we're good right now. We look good right now. We're starting to get guys back. We've got Kuz back. We're going to get Rondo back soon. So it just depends on what we need at that point in time when guys become available or we're looking for another guy. So if it comes to the point where we need a playmaker, we might get another playmaker. If we need a score, then we grab another score. Uh, I think if this career in basketball doesn't work out for him, that career in diplomacy uh, may definitely work in his favor. Uh Andre Iguodala is somebody that everybody believes will become a Clipper or a Laker. There was a report that came out the other day that Memphis basically does not want to help LeBron James. And you heard that when uh, the Pelicans and the Lakers couldn't come to a deal at the trade deadline, and he ends up coming. It was basically a situation where they'll them, they say, didn't want to help LeBron or whatever the logistics were. When you look at Andre Iguodala, uh, do you see him a Laker or a Clipper? Well, I think that, first of all, the, the story about, you know, the, the Pelicans and Anthony Davis not wanting to help LeBron, we learned that was a negotiating tactic, very obviously, right? Because mm-hmm. what ended up happening? They traded <laughs> Anthony Davis straight to the Lakers, and they got the best package they could possibly get for him. Yeah. So, 
so when we're right back in that same spot, that just tells us what? It's a negotiating tactic yet again, and they're trying to get the very best price. They're trying to basically put Andre Iguodal on the auction block, right? They're saying, mm-hmm. give me your best offer. I know the Clippers are interested. I know the Lakers are interested. There's probably going to be some other teams interested, too. Uh, and we're the small market Memphis Grizzlies. We're not going to win a lot of games this year. We're building for the future. We've got guys like John Moran and Jaron Jackson who are going to be the building blocks, and we need as many draft picks and assets and young players as we could put around those guys as possible, and we're not going to just hand you Andre Iguodala. So I think that's the state of the uh, of the sweepstakes. To me, there's a pretty good chance this drags all the way to the trade deadline. You know, I think if you're Memphis, uh, the more time that passes, the more that team starts to picture themselves as contenders, and I think the Lakers are already there. I think the Clippers are already there. Those teams' urgency to make that kind of a deal increases, and so therefore the price increases. So I think, unfortunately for Iguodala, it's going to be kind of a wait here. One thing that I found interesting in paying attention to your IG stories is just uh, the way you have kind of written about and covered uh Kawhi Leonard early on. Last week, uh, the Clippers were fined uh, for basically, or I guess, Doc Rivers' commentary about Kawhi Leonard heading into the game or whether or not he's going to play versus what the scouting report said as it related to load management. Load management is a funny word. What say you on load management? Because it seems to be something that has spread in the NFL as well. If I'm not mistaken, LaShawn McCoy uh the scouting report for him was he's out load management. If you ruled the world for a day, how would you handle load management? Well, I'll say this. Like, I was uh, open-minded to the idea when it first was taking place because I could understand the idea of, like, keeping the big picture in mind and, and trying to protect players. I'm definitely uh, empathetic to that. Uh, as it's kind of continued here, uh, it's gotten to the point where, uh, it almost seems like sometimes it overshadows the games, and that mm-hmm. bothers me. I mean, everybody freaked out so much because Kawhi Leonard sat out that game against Giannis and the Bucks here in Los Angeles. It was like a whole two-day story. Everybody's so mad about it. Da-da-da-da. Meanwhile, Giannis comes out, has like 38-16-9, and mm-hmm. and no one's talking about the game. So I think some of the responsibility on the load management conversation is on guys like us in the media to not lose you know, sight of the, the real story, which is sometimes it's about the guys who are playing rather than the guys who are resting. Now, in Kawhi's case, he's been very reluctant to talk about his actual health, right? It's mm-hmm. been hard to get real specifics about what's wrong with him, and he's just a private person. And frankly, who really wants to discuss their health, their private health information in public? But what's really become clear here over the last couple of weeks is that uh, the the leg injury that he had dating all the way back to San Antonio is still the type of thing that requires treatment, constant treatment. After every single game, he spends more than an hour getting treatment before he comes talk, to talk to us reporter bozos. So, you know, we're sitting there in an empty room waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for him every single game. Uh, so he gets that kind of a treatment. And then they also just firmly believe that, it's in his best interest not to play on back-to-backs at all. So that means he's probably going to miss at least 13 games this season, right? Mm-hmm. Now, doing that comes at a cost. He's not going to win the MVP if he misses 13 games, right? He's right. not going to get as much attention or hype as a LeBron James if he's taking nights off. He's going to catch some backlash from fans and from the media for you know supposedly being a wimp and sitting out. But ultimately, he, his bet is uh, – 
if I can pace myself, I'll be ready for the playoffs, and that will give me a chance to win a title. And it worked last year in Toronto, and it could work again this year in Los Angeles. And the other thing that he said, which I think was pretty poignant, was like he wants to have a long career, but after he's done playing, he wants to be able to you know, play basketball with his son, who's really, really young, right? So he's thinking mm-hmm. about this as like a 15- or 20-year plan. And from that standpoint, like there's that song like Stop Trying to Play God. Is that uh, Travis Scott? Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Like, who are these media members? Why are we trying to play God and tell Kawhi how to live his life, you know? Just let him let him do what he wants to do. He wants to be healthy in 20 years. That sounds good by me. That's real. Scoopy Radio on the line with the Gallagher. We're talking everything Lakers, everything Clippers. Paul George returned Thursday night, scored 33 points, had nine rebounds and four assists, if I'm not mistaken. And after the game said, I thought I was terrible. What did you think of his return? I thought it was it was promising. It was better than he thought it was. I think his whole issue was just the pace of the game and getting up to speed. And it is really tough, you know. It's like trying to like if a bicycle was riding by you down the street and you just try to jump on it and start pedaling. Like that's no easy task, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fascinating story about Paul George. And tell me if you agree with me on this one. Um, you know, I remember seeing you in Los Angeles. We were at that TNT event, and I was talking to Barkley. And Barkley is, is on the same page with me. He says, look, there's a lot of pressure on Paul George this year. He hasn't gotten out of the four, first round four straight years. He's joining a team where Kawhi Leonard uh, is the other main star who just won a title last year. So if anything goes wrong, people aren't going to blame Kawhi. They're probably going to blame Paul George. Mm-hmm. He's also coming off of two shoulder injuries. And he's also in a situation where, uh, you know, like his trade was – if not the biggest and one of the very biggest stories of the summer. So kind of all eyes are on him, and it's time for him to step up and do it. And there's been some moments in the playoffs, whether it was Damian Lillard hitting that three-pointer in his face or just how he played in that series against the Blazers, uh, or even the, the previous year he had a couple of really rough outings against the Utah Jazz in the postseason where some people might start to question, okay, like, is this guy really ready for the moment? And so I think Barkley and I are kind of in a line. Like, I see a lot of pressure on Paul George this year. What about you? Yeah, I take that and I raise you this. Um, when I look at Paul George, um, and I use this analogy often, I take it back to uh, the Nets days when Vince Carter left Toronto and came to New Jersey and played for the Nets with Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson. Um, to me, Vince never wanted to be the guy. He wanted to be one of the guys, and I think he got thrust into that position in Toronto. Comparatively, when you look at Paul George, he was the guy in Indiana, and then he was one of the guys in Oklahoma City, and what ended up happening was, you know, that the torn rotator cuff was a thing. Um, as you said, the Damian Lillard thing happened, but um, I think that Paul George, like Vince Carter, um, everybody's not meant to be the guy. Um, I think in Oklahoma City, Russ was very ball dominant, um, and 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 in Toronto, I think Paul George is in a situation where he doesn't have to exert himself maybe as much, um, or I'll say maybe differently. When you look at that situation in, in L.A., he's got a, a team that's already pre-made. You have Lou, you have Mantra Harrell, you, you have all those guys. You have Patrick Beverly. I feel like Paul George, you'll see more of him because, number one, Kawhi, uh, is sitting out in the back-to-backs, um, and also Paul George um, is, has something to prove. I think he has something to prove because, like you and Barkley said, you know, you question whether or not he's he's effective. But I also think that he is in a in a. I think we're looking at him more as a as a Robin than we are Batman sitting next to Kawhi. But Kawhi has already won. 
He's one on two different teams. So I think the onus is on Paul George to be consistent. We need a 33 points out of you every other game or 20 here, 15 here, as long as we're winning. I think he's in a situation where the pressure is on him because he pressured Oklahoma City to get out of L.A. A lot of people were mad, particularly on the Lakers side, that Kawhi Leonard did not join the Los Angeles Lakers. And the only and, and there were some other reasons why he didn't join, but Paul George did not make his presence known in Oklahoma that he wanted out. I don't even know that we would be having this conversation right now, but I think the fact that he put so much pressure on Thunder management to get out of here, yeah, there's some extra eyes on him. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. I mean, there was a whole offseason saga around Paul George and kind of blowing up the whole league by him moving. I do think so. When he first got to OKC, I viewed Westbrook as the number one guy, Paul George as the number two guy. By the time that he left, I viewed Paul George as the number one guy, and Westbrook had kind of you know dialed it back a little bit to be that number two guy. And I think now Paul George is also shifting back into the Robin role, that number two guy like you're mentioning with Kawhi. I think it's a better fit for him, man. Like I, I worry how far can a team go if Paul George is their best player in the playoffs. Uh, you know, we ha- we haven't really seen him carry a team like that. I think it could be a better situation where. Yes, they're a veteran, balanced team. They're going to get contributions from everybody across their lineup. They're pretty deep. But ultimately, like, late-game situations, do you trust Kawhi more? Do you trust Paul George more? To me, I trust Kawhi more, and I do think that's why it's a good fit here. I think that Kawhi will, you know, emerge as that main guy, and it could work out pretty well for them. Yeah, I think you're right. I do trust Kawhi more because, um, listen, Maybach cars don't have to advertise. Kawhi is a Maybach. I hear you. I mean, he's pro- it's proven, right? You know, I mean, it, and he he did it multiple times in different situations with different teammates too. You know, and I think that's a big a big part of it. Um, and he just is in a really nice groove. You know, I understand he coasts a lot, and I think that bothers people. You know, like he'll go three quarters, the first three quarters of a game, and it feels like he's not even really sweating. He's just out there shooting jump shot practice. Uh, but a lot of times late in these games, he just takes over. He plays hard for six minutes, and that's all they need. You know, that's enough to win the game. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be kind of be their approach this year. To me, it's so funny because the Clippers are, like, pacing themselves very deliberately all year mm-hmm. long. And the Lakers are so excited to be good again. It's like, who cares? We're in sixth year. You know, like, let's go out there and have the best mm-hmm. defense. Let's have Anthony Davis highlights every night. LeBron put up the triple doubles. It's such a funny contrast. And both these teams are, are really good. Uh, so it's been fun to watch that. Two things. You said Kawhi coast in quarters. Kawhi treats quarters like Shaq created the re- treated the regular season. Oh, for sure. Second okay, thing, no doubt. Second thing, you talked about um, you know the, the contrast between the Lakers and the and the and the Clippers. I worry about the Lakers burning out. Yeah, for sure, and, and we saw it happen last year too. I mean, people forget the Lakers were pretty good before Christmas, right? And then LeBron mm-hmm. goes down, and everything falls apart. So I worry about LeBron's pacing. Will there be a situation down the stretch of the season where they feel like they've done enough good work where they can give LeBron some time off? I think that could make sense, you know, going into the playoffs. And then also with Anthony Davis, we've seen a little bit of bumps and bruises already. He did sit out one game. It didn't sound like it was super serious with his rib. Uh, But, of course, you want to make sure he's in pristine health because they're such a different team. I mean, to me, that roster is is pretty top-heavy with their top two players. Um, If either one of those guys is kind of limited – their winning formula changes uh, to me. And uh, I guess if I compare the Clippers to the Lakers, I like the Clippers' depth you know, quite a bit more than I like the Lakers' depth. Uh, but uh, as long as they're healthy and good to go going into the postseason, you know, they're going to be a really, really tough out for basically everybody. So 
I think that while they're not going to play that load management game, and LeBron even said, look, if I'm healthy, I want to play, I do think it could get to the point where, like, okay, let's say they've got a seed locked up and it's it's April or, you know, it's late March. Maybe they start to get kind of creative in terms of how they handle minutes a little bit just to make sure those guys are fresh. And I'll add, um, when you look at – you you talked about load management and you talked about just, you know, the Lakers and and particularly Anthony Davis. The one thing I'll add is they played the Warriors. He could have sat out that game. He was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, the Warriors, it's like such a mess. And what Steve Kerr was like, uh, you know, one of our mantras was always we try to get three stops in a row on defense. And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't think we stopped L.A. three times in a row the entire game. And I was sitting there thinking, like, no, I'm pretty sure you didn't. Like, you, you guys did barely even stop them twice in a row. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, a, like a, you know, a, a practice, like varsity versus JV, you know. And LeBron only had to play 26 minutes. But the Warriors are the single greatest example that I can remember of how quickly fortunes can change mm-hmm. in the NBA. You go from a team that's consistently winning 67, 73 wins per year, and now they're going to be lucky if they get to 20 or 25. Um, it's stunning. It's shocking. Um, and I know they've commented, like, how many fewer media members they have covering them this year than previous years. It's kind of like, wait a minute, I thought you guys loved us. Well, it's like, well, you know how it is. Uh, the public loves a winner, you know, and right now that's that's pretty tough for them. So, uh, you know, the whole thing can change. I'm sure we're going to see some empty seats at their new arena at some point here in the not-too-distant future as reality sets in and as Steph Curry kind of remains sidelined. So it's uh, it's a cautionary tale, you know, never get too high, never get too low. Do you find it interesting and, and ironic um, that as Steph Curry is sitting out, Trey Young is what people are paying attention to, and are you surprised by how well he's playing so far? No, it's perfectly appropriate. Yeah, ironic. Whatever phrase you want to use, it's great. I mean, I, I think Trey Young is stepping into a void that is is wide open, um, and I love what I see from him. You know, I mean, there's definitely still questions, but uh, you know, his statement on Twitter about you know make sure like the apology is loud as the criticism was. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I just love that attitude in general. You know, like put yourself out there. Uh, you know you're going to get some backlash for saying stuff like that, but, you know, clearly it's been weighing on your mind because people really did go after him the first couple of months of his rookie season. Uh, you know, I think it's good for him to step up. I always kind of had faith in him largely because of his passing ability and because of his ball handling ability. Like, I wasn't totally sure those 40-foot three-pointers that he likes to put up were going to go in, like, in the same way that they've gone in for Steph Curry. I kind of wondered, okay, that could be a question where – Maybe he is a little bit too self-confident. But I definitely trusted his handle, and I trusted his vision. And I think what we're seeing is Atlanta's been really smart in terms of how they've built the team around him, trying to find the right type of pieces who can complement him. But they've also been very smart in just turning the whole show over to him. People forget they had Dennis Schroeder, right, a couple years ago. He Mm -hmm. was a proven starting point guard, basically in his prime. Now, he had some questions with his personality, and there was an off-court incident and stuff like that. But a lot of teams would have looked at it and said, you know what, Dennis Schroeder, you've been our guy. We're going to let you be the point guard, and Trey, we're going to bring you along slow. What Atlanta said was, you know what, we don't care if we lose games off the top. Trey, here are the car keys. Go learn how to drive on the fly. And Mm -hmm. there were some bumps and bruises last year, but I think it's paying huge dividends for them. I love that strategy from their front office and from their coaching staff, and I love that they picked the right guy. I, I think that he is the type of player you should have confidence in he will deliver. 
Scooby Radio on the line with Ben Golliver talking NBA. You um, talked about the West. We talked about the Western Conference at nauseum, at least was popular. One team that we didn't talk about was the Phoenix Suns. Are you surprised by the Suns um, and their start? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they look good. Uh, definitely better than they've looked at any point over the last five or six years. I, th- I go back to this. It's amazing what happens when you bring in a competent coach and a competent point guard, right? Like, I don't think Monty Williams would be viewed as a top-ten NBA coach, but he's a good coach. I don't think anyone would say Ricky Rubio is a top-ten point guard, but he's a good point guard. And that's been an organization that has had completely unproven coaches and completely unproven point guards for, like, five straight years. And the whole time during that uh, era, uh, I was just banging my head against the wall saying, what are these guys doing? How do you expect to win any games if you don't have a proven coach and a proven point guard? And sure enough, they bring those guys in. They fit in uh, you know, seamlessly. I think the most interesting question, though, it kind of sounds like a troll question, to be honest, uh, with the Suns. <laughs> but, look, they're having a lot of success with Aaron Baines as their center, and a big mm-hmm. reason why is because he can just step out and shoot three-pointers. He's like a spacing center, so he gives you a lot more room. And the only reason why he's playing so much is because DeAndre Ayton is suspended, right? And yes. Ayton is, Ayton's not a spacing center. And if you looked at uh, DeAndre Ayton and you looked at Aaron Baines, you would say Ayton's more physical, he's more gifted, he was the number one pick, all these other things, right? But if you look at uh, Aaron Baines, you would say this guy can really play defense, he does all the little things, he sets screens, he can shoot three-pointers. The team tends to play better when he's on the court. So it's not to say Baines is a better player than Ayton, but I do think there's going to be a little bit of a, you know, a hurdle to get over there. But once uh, Aiden comes back, because Aiden's going to expect uh, to play big minutes, he thinks if he's a franchise-type center, and yet Baines has p- played really, really well for them, and he might actually be a better fit for their other guys. The first pick in the 2014 NBA draft was Andrew Wiggins, and in the first 11 games of the season, he has averaged nearly 26 points per game, and he scored 30 or more in four of his last five contests to go along with best numbers and assists, rebounds, and his shooting percentage. Um, do you think Stevie Wonder could have seen that that was going to happen? <laughs> well, I was just going to ask you. So have you ever had that, that, that moment of in your personal life where you just have a relationship with someone and at some point you just throw your hands up and you're like, I'm never going to understand this person? Yep. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, just, I'm not going to get them? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with Wiggins because I was all the way in on Wiggins as a high school. I saw her when he was a sophomore in high school, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy can jump out of the gym. He's got this crazy 360 spin move that he loves to go to. At the time, he had a pretty good-looking jump shot for his age. I was like, all right, this guy, he's got the right size of uh, you know skill, size, athleticism. He's really going to be a player. Um, I, I clung to that notion for years, and then finally, like two years ago, I kind of just gave up and said, I don't know. I'm not sure if this guy loves basketball. He doesn't really seem excited to be here on a night-to-night basis. Uh, he coasts too much. He disappears too much. And yet this year, he's rewritten his reputation again, and he's mm-hmm. looking great on the ball, and he's, uh, you know, he, he's having a much uh, bigger positive impact for them. So I'm lost, man. I don't know. Maybe you can explain <laughs> it to me. I don't know where we stand with Andrew Wiggins. I mean, taking a cursory look on our good friend Google, uh, I learned that Wiggins is one of only 17 players this season, according uh, to 538.com. He is 
one of only 17 players this season with a true shooting percentage of at least 56% and a usage rate of at least 28%, which would put him in the same elite offensive category with names like James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Damian Lillard. That is crazy to me. Well, yeah, because the, the true shooting stuff has been a huge problem for him. You go back to past years, I mean, that was a real issue with shot collection, right? I mean, he's taking a lot of tough twos. Uh, he's doing a lot of stuff off the dribble for himself that maybe aren't the best looks. And then he was struggling to shoot the ball uh, from the three-point line. I think uh, Ryan Saunders is a young coach up there in Minnesota. He's really big on the modern stuff. Like, mm-hmm. we want to make sure we're taking more three-pointers than twos. We want to make sure we're getting to the free-throw line, those kinds of things. And I think he's he's worked a lot with Wiggins on trying to kind of change his mindset in terms of what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. And I think some of those stats that you're reading out, uh, to help explain that, you know, Wiggins has made some progress there for sure. Look, the talent was always there, right? I think to me, it's more of a mentality thing. Like, is he locked in and really wanting to go and to play hard and to be a leader? And those were the questions. And I think we're starting to see some progress there, which is great. It's only halfway through the month, and the Boston Celtics have raised 24000 for Boston's YMCA Diabetes Prevention Program. That's not the only effective thing that they've done. Uh, at the time of this recording, on Thursday uh, at 2.41 p.m. Eastern Time, the Boston Celtics are 9-1. and one. Why has Kemba Walker worked out for the Celtics so far this season? Well, I think it's been part him, but I think it's also just part the fact that, uh, you know, a cloud lifted with Kyrie leaving. You know, I think that Kyrie deserves a lot of credit for how he plays, and he's got some incredible talents. But there was no question that entire organization spent all of last season on eggshells. Nobody Mm -hmm. really seemed comfortable. They didn't ever seem like they bonded. Um, I don't spend a ton of time around them, but they were out here on the West Coast for a couple road trips late in the season. It was just a very weird, just kind of disconcerting feel when you would go to the locker room. It was kind of like everybody was waiting to see what Kyrie would say next, if Kyrie was in a good mood, um, or what else was going on. And you know, Kyrie's been very open that he was struggling with the death of his grandfather. He was grieving, and he didn't know how to express it. And I really applaud Kyrie for, for being a man about that situation, stepping up and, and telling people, like, look, I was going through it, like <laughs> – what do you want me to do? You know, I'm sorry that uh, I wasn't completely consistent, but I was going through a really tough time in my personal life. That's not easy for someone as famous as him to do, so I give him a lot of credit for that. But you take him out of that Boston situation, you remove, uh, you know, that personality, and you realize they had a lot of talent. I mean, they had a lot of talent before Kyrie got there, whether it's Jalen Brown, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, and then, uh, you know, even Gordon Hayward before he got injured this season was was looking really good too. So, uh, I give credit to the coaching staff, uh, Brad Stevens. Kemba definitely has been a clean fit. Tatum, to me, has uh, played more like the guy we thought he was supposed to develop into uh, this season as well, and it's been a good team effort. I think my question with the Celtics, can they really do it, right? Like, you, you read their ne- records like 9-1. and one. I mean, that sounds like a title contender record, right? Are these guys really on that level, or is this more of a cute story, right, where they're going to win a playoff series maybe try to play spoiler against uh, you know, a team like Milwaukee or a team like Philadelphia, but then kind of run into a brick wall. I still think that's kind of their fate unless they make some midseason moves to kind of upgrade. Sticking with the Eastern Conference, Scoopy Radio, on the line with Ben Goliver, um, if the Sixers and the Milwaukee Bucks are the clear-cut favorite in the NBA's Eastern Conference, if not those two, then who? The team that I, I still like a lot is Toronto. Now, I'm not sure Toronto could beat Milwaukee, 
Um, and I'm not sure they could beat Philadelphia either, but I think that they're one of the better stories of this season. You know, their front office told me last week, they're like, look, we loved having Kawhi, but one of the benefits that, of having Kawhi that nobody talks about is that a player like Pascal Siakam basically got to go to graduate school and Kawhi was a professor. It's like, here, hmm. I'm going to teach you exactly how you need, what you need to do to win. Here's how hard you have to work if you want to become an all-star. Here's how hard you have to work if you want to become an MVP caliber player. Here's how you have to handle yourself in stressful moments in the playoffs. Here's what you do when defenses are sending extra help at you. And Siakam clearly is a, a complete sponge. You know, he he absorbed everything. I think that his growth this year has been one of the best stories to start the season. He is legitimately, to me, arguably the third best player in the Eastern Conference. You've got Giannis, you've got Embiid, and I might take Siakam third if we're trying to start franchises for which guys I would draft. And so uh, he's not your traditional number one lead scorer quite yet. Uh, he still has to kind of improve as a shooter. He's made some progress, you know, as a three-point shooter and also as a ball handler. But he's not like your prototypical, like, you know, big-time wing, uh, you know, number one option. But I think he's going to be a very, very tough uh, player for teams to handle in the playoffs. I also just love his effort level, how hard he plays and how he sets the tone for all of his teammates. And that's why Toronto is still kind of in the mix this year. A lot of the credit goes to him. So uh, that's just a team that I've kind of become enamored with. It's so funny. Like, they don't have the big star. Like, they don't have the DeMar DeRozan, who was, like, the franchise icon. They don't have Kawhi, who led them to the title. But I actually think this version of the Raptors, because they're so young, so athletic, and they play so hard, I think they're more fun to watch than either one of the last two teams that they've had. And the Miami Heat surprised many people in the offseason when they signed Jimmy Butler, left Philly, came to, Jim, came to Miami. But they added Tyler Hero. They added Kendrick Nunn. Um, are you surprised at their success? No, I think what we're seeing is that the organizations in the Eastern Conference that have good stability, whether it's their front offices and their coaches, so I would put Boston in that category, I would put Toronto in that category, and I would put Miami in that category with mm -hmm. uh, Pat Riley and Spolstra. That just gives them a leg up. You know, I tend not to think the Eastern Conference is really that deep or that talented as a whole. And so I think if you've got really good stability, that gives you, uh, you know, a big advantage, a big benefit. And uh, Miami, you know, it doesn't take a ton, right? Like you get one nice pre-agent signing. You've got some other pieces kind of already in place. You make one uh, or, or even arguably two nice rookie additions with none and hero. And you're off, you're off to the running. You're off to the races. And, um, you know, they have a clear style how they want to play. They want to grind you up defensively. Uh, and, you know, Jimmy's going to do his thing offensively. they got a bunch of talented scorers now. Um, and they're, they're going to just bring it every single night consistently, right? And I think, uh, you know, that's a, a winning formula. It has been for Miami, I think, both before and after the LeBron James era. And it's good to see them do that again. Uh, it'll be really something to watch next summer can Miami get into the mix for somebody big, right? Is there some mm -hmm. trade they can make, or is there any, you know, high-profile free agent where they can sneak in? Because we know guys love to play there. We know there's a big respect level for Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra. They have that first star with Jimmy Butler now. They've got some really nice young players. Another guy, Bam Adebayo, we should probably mention, uh, as part of their young core. Like, this team is, you know, one, you know, big free agent signing or, or big trade away from, you know, really being, like, right back up there near the top of the Eastern Conference. So are they going to be able to pull that off? That's a question. Uh, but it's something that I'm, I'm definitely looking forward, you know, as I look at, like, you know, next summer or the, or the summer beyond. 
Scoopy Ray on the line with Ben Gallagher talking everything NBA. Um, the All-Star Game is in Chicago in February. Uh, last, uh, well, the All-Star Game in 2019 was in Charlotte. You saw Michael Jordan as the, you know, the majority owner of the Hornets. Um, now the legacy of, you know, the Bulls are now considered, they always were, but really in our generation's eyes, is an iconic team. For you, when you look at the Chicago Bulls, one, what are they missing? Two, are you excited for the All-Star game to be in Chicago? Well, I'll take the second word first. Look, I'm excited, <laughs> man, but if they're going to send me to these cold-weather climates, I need to see Zion Williamson, okay? I need to see him in the dunk contest. And I know he's been hurt. He's supposed to be healthy and, and back up. But if we can get a situation where we get, like, Zion, we get Hamadou Diallo from last year's, you know, reigning champion, and then Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, the hometown, you know, Chicago Bull star. If that could be the dunk contest, then I don't care what the temperature is, all right? I'm excited to go to Chicago to watch it. Um, in terms of the, what ails the Bulls, um, everything. You know, I think that's kind of the easiest answer. Uh, the pieces don't really fit that well together. They, their best players aren't really two-way players. You know, guys like Zach Levine uh, and Lowry Markinen are going to get a lot of the attention. Uh, based on their scoring numbers, but I think those guys have a lot of, uh, you know, progress to make defensively. Uh, and then you look at, like, you know, the young guys, whether it's Wendell Carter, uh, he is a, a potential two-way guy, uh, but we're still, you know, waiting on him to kind of, you know, develop and, and really exert his influence. Uh, it's kind of a mishmash roster where you've got, you know, some veteran additions like a Thaddeus Young trying to compete for minutes with younger guys. Um, and so, you know, to me, I never really saw the clear vision from their front office for how this season and this team was supposed to work. It seemed like it was going to be a developmental season. And then again with Boylan, their coach, I think he got a lot of criticism and attention last year for being such an old-school, kind of pound-your-chest, rah-rah type of guy. And they seemed like they put the pieces back together a little bit down the stretch of last year. But I still don't necessarily see a team that is completely buying what their coach is selling you know, night after night. I'm not sure they have that crazy effort level um, and, and the, the scrappiness that you need if you're not as talented as the opposition to, to win games. So those are those are a bunch of questions. Now, Kobe White, you know, the other night was just red hot. I think he had like seven three-pointers against the Knicks. Uh, that is looking like a pretty interesting addition for them. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's a, a modern player where, like, he can go get a shot, he can shoot it. Um, so that could be something that, you know, is a nice building block for the future. I just think the Bulls in general are still a couple years away. What I didn't mention uh, to, to your question was as a follow-up, but it was actually a question I was going to ask before this one. I got distracted with this. You talked about the Miami Heat. You talked about uh, they played uh, the Cavaliers on Thursday night. And I was looking at Instagram, and uh, J.R. Smith was alive, and Kevin Love came on, and they were talking back and forth. Uh, do you see there being any market for J.R. Smith come springtime? It's a really tough one. It's like unless he gets the LeBron seal of approval, I don't know who he helps, you know. Uh, I think and it's unfortunate. I think it's a situation where there have been some red flags with him that accumulated over the course of his career. I think that sometimes there's a risk-averse approach from front offices where they just think, like, look, he might be able to help us, but he could also really make me look bad if things don't go well. So I don't want to risk it, you know? And so I think that it it takes, you know, advocacy from one of his friends, whether it's a a Kevin Love or a a LeBron James, 
to sort of get him into a spot. If he never found a, la- a landing spot, it wouldn't totally surprise me. You know, a player like Nick Young is in a kind of a similar situation right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you see that sometimes. And that's why I do think there's a lot to be learned from the Vince Carters of the world uh, mm-hmm. or some of these other vets that really hang on. Like Jawan Howard's another one from a few years ago when he was playing until <laughs> he was almost 40. There's a lot to be learned from those guys, right? Like, it's a very subjective process when you get laid into your career in terms of, like, are you going to be able to convince people to keep giving you those veteran minimum contracts? And I think sometimes it's about your consistency, your professionalism, your personality, and your reputation can keep guys in the league where at some points, uh, you know, guys can be judged maybe even unfairly just from afar by other organizations who don't know those players based on their past actions. So I I just think that – you know, those are the types of things that might be holding back, uh, you know, a J.R. Smith or a, or a Nick Young. Last question. You came out of Sports Illustrated. <clears throat> the state of journalism is changing. For young folks who are who are aspiring journalists or who are in their career looking to make that transition uh, in life to get to where you are, uh, what's some of the advice that you've gotten along the way, and what advice would you give those who are listening? I mean, the, the central piece of advice I always give is do it if you love it, if you don't love it, if it's not why you wake up in the morning, if you're not willing to go hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year, go find something else because there's a better paying career out there that's going to give you a better lifestyle and a better work-life balance, right? But if you're passionate, if you if you get challenged and, and somebody says, hey, you really think you can be a writer, and your first reaction is like, heck, yeah, I could be a writer. Heck, yeah, I could be a media. I could do podcasts. And that's what motivates you. That's what your fuel is. Uh, then go for it, you know, and, and, and get in the door as early as possible. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I saw you at that TNT event. Like going out there and being public is such a big part of this, right? Like you're not going to be able to get stories. You're not going to be able to build relationships and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, become a trusted source unless you're visible. So I always tell people, like, use your real name, you know, put your name on it, uh, you know, Go to as many events as possible. Try to get, you know, press credentials uh, as early as, as you can so you're in the door and you're starting to kind of build out those networks and those relationships. Uh, and then, obviously, from there, you want to be professional, be fair, uh, but write your opinion and, and trust your voice. I mean, those things are important. You know, don't try to write like anybody else. You know, don't try to podcast like anybody else. You know, you're you're your own person. And uh, I think that if you stick to those mantras, you're going to be in a much better place than, than somebody who doesn't. You heard it first. Ben Oliver, Scoopy Radio. Brother, thank you so much for joining us. I know you got to get out of here, and um, we'll be talking to you later on in the season. Sounds great, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, best wishes with the show and everything else. Scoopy Radio. Overtime. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.